Well, good morning, LCM. Good morning. Today's date is Sunday, January 16th. The title of today's message is Old Provision. In a day of exorbitant expenditure, exaggerated eccentricities, and failings of leadership that threaten to fill up the full measure of God's wrath, we are a body who's learning to take up supplies long stored away by our Heavenly Father. You know, we live in a nation today that was built by men of better character, higher levels of discipline, and an elevated comparable morality. The structure that has been used and abused in recent times, well, it was built on the backs of men who previously prepared the way in hopes that we would go further. You know, it's a total reality that we are currently surviving in our nation on the previous days of Reaganomics. And things that are long forgotten like hard work that have all but ceased to exist in today's progressive. No, I mean regressive policies. Regressive policies. In today's culture, new is all that is talked about. The idea in our political landscape is that the old provision that was sacrificially, deeply, and hard worked for, attained by men in the past, must be fixed abrogated and amended by something new in our day and time. Can anyone honestly tell us that the new provision that we've been receiving lately is better than what we already had? Oh, I know it feels nice to have a stimulus check. It feels nice to have a child tax credit every month until you recognize you can't afford basic human needs. Basic human needs. Like toilet paper that is greatly inflated due to a rise in this bull socioeconomics, or as our current president has agreed to call it, Brandonomics. Oh, well, thank God we are a part of a heavenly kingdom in this house. A kingdom that is not subject to the smearing campaign of social media. Now, thanks be to God, we do have victory in Jesus Christ. Even if our present world does uh, go down the drain. Look, before we get into too much trouble, let's begin in our text, starting in 1 John chapter 2, verse 7. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one which you have heard since the beginning. This command is the message you have heard. Look, at this point, the Apostle John, alongside his brothers, has laid a foundation of gospel truth. And he's reminding them of the message they have heard. He has fought the good fight, and he has prepared the way for those coming after him. Now, as an old man... He is addressing a mature body of believers, and he is instructing them as they face the fight of their day. And he says, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one. Oh, come on. Here, verse 8. Yet, I am writing you a new command. What? You got to love the scripture. It's truth is seen in him and you. Just in case you didn't catch that, I'm going to read this one more time. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him, as in Jesus the Christ, and you. Because the darkness is 
passing, and the true light is already shining. Saints, this new command is the old one reborn in the lives of sons who are in the faith and are now mature enough to utilize what God had already given them. John says its truth is seen in him, as in Jesus, and within you. See, the underlying reality is that the darkness is already passing right now. And the true light is shining, and it is shining through you, church. Yes. See, in this house, we are practicing what it looks like to walk in the light. We are learning to walk in the truth that is already inside of us. Somebody say, already shining. Already shining. Verse 9. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light. And there is nothing in him to make him stumble. Saints, you know. Claims to the light are meaningless when darkness falls. Men claim all kinds of things. They can claim to be in the light as much as they would like to. But the moment darkness falls shows the reality of who we are. Out of this body, true love for God's light is rising. And it is proved in your relationships. Nothing can make the man stumble who has love born from above for his brothers. Look, we want to dig into this word stumble quickly. I think we have a slide for you. This stumble is the Greek word, 4625, scandalon. It is the name of the part of a trap to which the bait is attached, hence the trap or snare itself. The concept here is that a man who has this old command, a man who loves the truth, a man who loves the light, and a man who loves his brother, well, that man cannot be put in a situation that is a trap for him. The, the light is already shining. There is no situation. Say no situation. No situation. No matter how dark, that is a trap for you, LCM. You cannot be trapped in these ways. But rather, these precarious situations will serve us as future triumphs that we are eagerly waiting to jump into. This is serving us, in a sense. Our metal is being tested in this church in this way. Yeah. And we are more than ready for the sifting and the testing that is coming yeah. because the light is already shining in us. Come we on. say, bring it on. We welcome the sifting. We need the sifting. Amen? Yeah. Somebody say, it's not a trap. It's a triumph. Saints, this process is how an old command becomes a new command. As you are put in these situations of passing darkness and fight and contend to stay in the light, old provisions become new and alive in you once again. We're going to pick up together this morning in Hezekiah's life. Not any point in his life, but a point in his life of unparalleled revival. Growing maturity in the whole kingdom, men rising to their callings. This time period is directly analogous to our present day and present time. It's in so many different ways that will become apparent as you read a passage that you previously thought you understood. We're going to go to 2 Chronicles chapter 32 and verse 1 together. Say old provision on your way. Old verse 1 says, 
after all that Hezekiah had so faithfully done. Man, that's awesome, isn't it? After all that he had faithfully done, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah. Oh, man. He laid siege to the fortified cities, thinking to conquer them for himself. You know, it's quite comical to read about these situations on paper, isn't it? After all that he had faithfully done. I've been faithful, Lord. Well, it's not so comical when you're in the situation. You see, it's usually at this moment in our lives when we are doing our best. Or at least when we think we're doing our best. I have been so faithful, Lord. And then a trap begins to form. As a righteous man usually is, though. Hezekiah is not caught off guard one moment. Take a look at what he does. Verse 2. When Hezekiah saw, somebody say he saw, saw. that Sennacherib had come and that he intended to make war on Jerusalem, he consulted with his officials, i.e. his team and his military staff, his leadership, about blocking off the water from the springs outside the city. And they helped him do it. Verse 4. A large force of men assembled, and they blocked all the springs and the stream that flowed through the land. Why should the kings of Assyria come and find plenty of water, they said. And in verse 5, then he worked hard repairing all the broken sections of the wall and building towers on it. He built another wall outside that one and reinforced the supporting terraces of the city of David. He also made large numbers of of weapons and shields. Man, if you're listening to this, there are so many elements of it that have been weaved into sermon after sermon. It has to do with the things that God has been working into us as a community from building up those broken down walls to reinforcing the outer terraces. Saints, there's a revelation that we need. Real repairs are always made in times of testing. Towers of faith are always formed when they're fought against and never in times of peace. This is the nature of the ministry for those who truly dwell in the light. We are in conflict with the darkness. We are those who are sifted, but never scandalized, never trapped. We are in triumph. We rise to fortify the outer lying areas of our community. And it is our job, joy, and great duty to build additional walls around it. Now, saints, you know that in the end of this situation, Hezekiah was not trapped at all. It felt like a trap, but it was not a trap. Sennacherib was the one who was trapped by his own sinful devices. Yeah, he was. God delivered Hezekiah, and Hezekiah gained more than just a testimony. You know, like standing up on Sunday and saying, I got a testimony. He gained something here. The sifting in his life gifted him was something great. Oh man, was he gifted. He was gifted with a large quantity of weapons. He was gifted with stronger walls. He was gifted with greater access to his own water supply while simultaneously depriving the enemy of the same access. More than anything else, he was gifted with old provisions he had in his kingdom made new under these times of adversity. So on one sense, it seems that this situation was a trap from the enemy. But when you see the provisions that Hezekiah came out with, I would say that God was setting a table for Hezekiah, wouldn't you? Oh, come on. And for Israel around him. You see, these sundry Sennacherib situations, they will cause 
old provisions to become new. Yeah, they will. When you are in a time of sifting, there is a great need that arises. I need something. And then you see the provision that was always there, and suddenly it is new again. When we are placed in difficult situations, when we are under the duress of darkness, it causes something to rise in us, church, that may have become stagnant. A neediness to find provision. See, there's a stagnancy that falls on us sometimes when we are not being sifted. And we think, oh, I have all that I need. But the moment that you are in a trial, you say, I need something. And God opens your eyes to what you already have there. Well, and that neediness is something that we need to cultivate. Yes. These situations that we are finding ourselves in where you're stressed and strained in your marriage, you're challenged in new areas of ministry, your workplace has become harder than ever before. These things are designed to cause your great need and cry to rise to your father. It's not a trap. It's the beginning of your triumph. This is how old provision, provision that we have had with us all along, becomes radically new, reborn, revived in our lives. Saints, we're about to turn to 1 Samuel 17. Yet again, a passage that many of you may be familiar with. But you need to know. That the battle was not won by progressive, new, I mean regressive policies. Now the battle in 1 Samuel 17, it was won by a man who stood in the truth of God's word. It was won by a man who loved his brothers enough to face their giants. And he entered this great contest of faith with an old shepherd's pouch. One that was made new and made effective by the sifting of the situations that were around him. Pick up in 1 Samuel 17, 51 with us. Verse 51 says, David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine sword and drew it from its scabbard. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. I killed him and then I killed him again. I made him dead and then I made him deader. By the way, that's the only way to treat sin in your life. You don't just stop at knocking it down. You have to cut the head off. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Oh, come on. Now, we know that this is one of these passages that most feel that they are familiar with. But there are a few details that usually go unnoticed in the story. You see, in the previous verses, Saul feels the need to supplement David's initiative with new and progressive provisions. In verses 34 through 37, David responds by rejecting these federal handouts and he opts to stand on the training that God had already provided. Amen. He realized he had old provision already. When we're contemplating this, I couldn't help but think about Justin saying he made him dead in debtor. And thinking about Pastors Christy Sutherland's Abigail and Nabal cards. They demonstrated that for us during the marriage teaching. And at the top right hand corner, it's written, kill them. And then make them dead again and kill them once more. You see, there's a kind of attitude that we have to cultivate. It's one that is staring the face in giants that are arising. Armies that are amassing around us in ever-growing situations. In realizing that it's the old tools that need to be applied to the nth degree. Yes. We don't need a new tool. 
We need the old provision made new inside of our lives. That in mind, verses 38 and 39, Saul is insisting, he's pressing David on this matter again. And David still declines because he was uh, not used to such costly provisions coming from items that he did not actually pay a price to obtain. What David does in the 40th verse, however, is perhaps the decision that actually kept him safe from the trap of the enemy. He relies on the provisions God had already given him. Saints, this is the pivotal moment in the struggle. If he simply relented or may even reprieved himself for a second or maybe flat out refused to use the provision God had already given him, declaring it doesn't work, my slingshot is not enough, well, verse 54 would have never come to pass. Verse 54 says, David took the Philistine's head and brought it to Jerusalem. Can you picture that? Little boy carrying this giant head all the way to Jerusalem, skipping as he goes, I'm sure. And he put the Philistine's weapon in his own tent. Oh, come on, catch this church. He relied on the provision that God already had for him. Instead of taking Saul's provision, he found the provision God gave. He relied on his training. He went out and grabbed the stones that God had already made. He put it in the shepherd's bag that he already had. And he knocked down a giant. And then he gained another provision. Man, you have no way of quantifying what you would lose by looking for a new answer to your sifting process. And there are many suggestions to new answers, but David denies them all. You see, the revival, the rebirth of old provisions is the method by which God will provide the weapons for tomorrow. Come on. You see, as you breathe life into old provision, God gives you more provision. David chose to face the giants in his own life and his own character instead of blaming the tools around him. And it prepared the way for not only his future, but those who would come after him. Now, saints, we told you that we would tell you something you haven't noticed before from 1 Samuel 17. The reality is that your entire life reading this passage, you thought the miracle was that he had the faith to step in the fight. You thought a part of the miracle was that he won with the slingshot. That he won with the stone. But the reality is the miracle inside of David was the faith to stand on what God had already given and not look for a new weapon. You see, entering the contest between something that was stronger and more powerful than him, well, that was commonplace for David. What was miraculous is that other tools, other ways out, and other opportunities were offered. And in him, he stood on the convictions ingrained of old. Saints, I think that miracle is something that we need during these days. It's not a new tool. It's not a new revelation. The miracle that we need is the one that reaches back to the past and grabs hold with a firm grip. David was a man that loved the light. He loved the truth. He loved his brother countrymen, and he could not be trapped. He could only triumph. Chapter 21 tells it all about David. This is 1 Samuel 21, verse 8. David asked Ahimelech, Don't you have a spear or a sword here? I haven't brought my sword or any other weapon because the king's mission was urgent. Saints, isn't the question something that we always want to ask? 
Hey, I'm in a new situation. Brother, pastor, do you have a sword? Do you have a spear? Do you have something to fix my sifting situation? I'm asking for a solution to my problem. I'm asking for a solution to the war and the combat that I'm in. Well, listen to verse 9 in the priest response. The priest replied, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, is here. It is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you want it, take it. There is no sword here but that one. David said, There is none like it. Give it to me. Man, there was none like it. It was unique. It was special. And yet it seemed to have been forgotten about. (laughs) That's just David, isn't it? You have to love these sifting moments of trial. They cause that neediness to rise and cause you to actually need what God had already given you. And sometimes what you need is just hidden in plain sight. You see, at an earlier time in David's life, this was provision that God gave him during those difficult times. He gained it in the battle, and it was added to the old provision that he had been storing up. Come on. That old provision caused him to win, and that win caused him to store up more provision for the future. This is quite a glorious situation, isn't it, church? The old provision was being kept for when it was needed again. And it's funny that it was forgotten about, but you know, this kind of reminds us like long-forgotten revelation. Have any of you just, man, you, you are looking for a revelation and then God reminds you of something he showed you a long time ago that you forgot about? And then at that time, it becomes new again. Come on. You see, the old provisions of previous times proved to be a weapon of unequal caliber in David's life as they were reborn in his present situations of, sh- of sifting. Man, it's a testimony to God's faithfulness when you consider that David's choice by faith to not rely on other weaponry was actually providing for his times of greatest need in the future. God is a faithful God. What we want to do in this house, just like David, is perhaps we were asking the question, where is a sword, where is a spear, where is something else? But realize there is nothing like what God has already prepared for you. Goliath's sword is like reinvigorating old provisions of marriage teaching. Like reinvigorating 12 gates. It's like taking the Elevating Your Priesthood series and causing it to have new birth within your home. It's like perfecting your parenting on a whole new level as you grow as a parent. Or perhaps securing our singles and our hope for the future. See, David was caught off guard. He was caught off guard by a difficult fight. One birth out of an offense within Saul, and he was temporarily put to flight. But when he went to the priest of Nob, which means fruit, by the way, or in some translations, an elevated position, he found consecrated bread there and a weapon of unequaled caliber. The old provisions were the unequaled caliber. It was what he needed, and there was nothing like it. Those old provisions that now mean so much more When you utilize them in your present circumstances. You know, this is so much like the typical process for 20-year-olds. You know, when they learn something during their upbringing, 
And they've been told time and time again something, uh, a principle has been drilled into them that they ignored and forgotten about and didn't listen to. And now suddenly, in the time of testing, in a sifting trial, they realize the importance of what they ignored. Oh, I've been there many times. Have you? It's so funny when that happens because you tend to think, oh, I found a new revelation, pastor, until you realize it was an old one. No, you didn't. But it is new to you because life is being breathed into it as you use it in your hand. You see, this church is 20 years old, and we are engaging in mature levels of combat, mature levels of ministry. We are setting the table. And as we engage in the sifting process, as we lock in combat with the enemy, we are going to find that God has already provided everything we need. And we just need the spirit to breathe life into it again. The lessons learned of yesteryear, they're hanging on our walls. They are behind us. They are on that back soundboard there. They are the old provision. Come on. And they are being made new in these seasons of combat. And that is what we desperately need as a church. Oh, come on. Are Justin and I the only ones that have been given something good and just didn't realize it till later? See, when you're straining to cultivate joy in your home, as you stretch out to minister, stretching out to minister to others, and you're revitalizing your love language in the process, cultivating that joy... Man, that is like taking a beating in a fight to a death and remembering that you have a battle axe in the truck that you forgot about. Or maybe a shotgun under the back seat that you forgot about. All of the sudden, it has a newfound purpose. Man, previously it was collecting dust. It's like, hey, yeah, I've got a shotgun here. It's, uh, it's called love language. You want to see it, Pastor? I still have my homework. But then when you desperately need that shotgun, man, does it have a new purpose. It turns the tide of the whole war that you're engaged in. See, you just got to love this process. Come on. Hezekiah, he at any moment could have started building walls and building weapons. But it is at that time when the enemy is on the doorstep that he takes notice and says, I have got to use what I already have and make it new again. You see, breathing new life into the divine attributes, the Mishnah, copy, worthy elements of your brother's, it's like eating of consecrated bread. Yeah, it it's is. like that old provision that creates a whole new fire in your bones. And I know it's old provision because I bet many of us in the room have forgotten about that concept. But it's breathing new life into us right now, isn't it? Yes. Look, when you have picked up that old provision, nothing can deter you from speaking that prophetic, life-giving speech that your brothers are in desperate need of. Man, when you are realizing that there is a struggle in unity... And then you realize you have the tools that you already need and they have just been laying there on the ground and you pick them up. That's an addicting feeling, isn't it? Mm -hmm. When you bring an old tool into battle and it becomes new and you're using it to fight, nothing can stop you from using it over and over again. In fact, this is what turns the tide of war in our body and builds up this church of Christ. We will rise to accomplish this task. LCM, the light is already shining. There is nothing that can make you stumble, make you scandal on, make you trapped. This is the life that God has brought us into. He's been paving the way, preparing the path, and his light and truth are available to us at every turn. Do you understand what, how special that kind of provision is? 
Do you remember when you were in some dead church starving for revelation? We have an abundance in this house that we are learning to utilize. 2 Corinthians 6 contains old provision that will take on a whole new meaning in your life. We're speaking in faith saying that it is going to be reborn in the days ahead. It's going to be reborn in you like light shining in a dark place. 2 Corinthians 6 verse 4 is where we're going to pick up. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit, and in sincere love, in truthful speech, and in the power of God. You see, Paul was a man like David. He did not have difficulty and traps of the enemy absent from his life. He had many sifting situations. In verse 4, it says that it is in these things that he was commended. It was in these sifting trials that Paul was commended. But I want you to look at what he entered these conflicts with. It says, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left. Look, could it be that these are the provisions that were stored up in the situations that Paul commended himself in? Could it be that in the situations of beatings, imprisonments, riots, hard work, sleepless nights, hunger, that are, those are the moments where he realized he had weapons in his right and left hand and they were becoming new all over again for him. Now, I want you to look at what he carried these weapons through, though. This is verse 8. Through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and not yet killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. Saints, old provision will mean something entirely different to you when you're regarded as an imposter, when you're genuine in every way that you know how, but bad reports seem to keep piling in. When somebody's not referring to the body collectively as a cult, but saying, you are a part of a cult, you are a cult leader. When that adversity begins to pile up things that you've heard long ago, and the result of them is old provision becoming new. It's weapons of righteousness that you now know what to do with. And in these moments, the truth that is seen in Jesus is seen in you. And it reveals to the whole world that the light is already shining. Amen. You're not trapped. You're just triumphing over the darkness. Look how Paul uses this now new provision, the old provision that he previously had and is being renewed through the trials and the difficulties that he is participating in later on in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. So if you flip the pages in your Bible and you get to chapter 10, Paul uses that same word, weapons. And in verse 1 he says, 
You get the sense that Paul is dealing with some trials here with this church, don't you? A little bit. Have any of you read the book of 2 Corinthians and you're like, I want to know what's going on before 2 Corinthians? It's because Paul's locked into a sifting situation here. And after explaining the kind of situations that he is in and talking about the weapons in his left and right hand, he begins to use that weapon like language. In verse 1 he says, By the meekness and gentleness of Christ... I appeal to you, I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold when away. I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Come on. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Amen. Look, Paul did not have to resort to the progressive innovations of Saul. But instead, he took up the provisions gifted to him Come in on. previous times of sifting. And all of those Christian commendations, he came out on the other side with provisions, man. And he did not need to fight the way the world does. He did not need to enter a difficult situation with brothers and fight the way the world fights. By tearing them down. By completely pointing out Nabal. Instead, he had provisions gifted to him from on high, and they were from the heavens, and he knew what it was to face new giants and to pick out these worn-up tools that were supernaturally reborn in his times of trial. Paul understood that an old, worn-out tool might be the very best thing that ever happened to you. One, because your familiarity grows with it. Your actual competency in the tools grow. And as God anoints it and causes a supernatural sharp edge to be reapplied to it, man, there is none like it. Paul had learned what it was to lean on these old provisions and breathe life into them again and again as God supplied it. What he needed came from these old provisions and it prepared the way for him and those who would follow him. Paul himself became an effective tool in the hands of God, but not just unto himself, a tool in the hands of God for his brothers and the kingdom of God at large. This is entirely due to the fact that he would not accept a new, easier solution to the giants that faced him. No, in almost every letter, he is retreading his steps, pointing back to the gospel truth, pointing back to the old ways, pointing to what was already given from the law. It might be best we pick up in John 6 together. We're going to look at John 6, verse 32. Verse 32, Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So capture this a little bit with us. In John chapter 6, Jesus is teaching one of his most difficult sermons in all the Bible. And as a result of that, later on in this chapter, many begin to leave Jesus and stop following him. 
He says things like, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. He is trying to get them to realize that there are provisions and he is telling them how to get them. He's literally allowing them to be sifted by his teaching in that moment. And there's a response between two different groups of disciples. You guess which one was the largest. <laughs> what Jesus is saying in John 6 is that the bread of heaven or the heavenly provision that God gives you, it never came from you or your righteous actions. It didn't come from your adherence to the law. It didn't come from everything that you do right. Instead, it comes from those sifting moments and how you choose to engage with them. Look, you are not here in this body because you are righteous or that you had already the provision that you need. You are here just like the people were there in John 6 to realize that there is old provision that God has and you need it to be made new in you and you have to do whatever it takes to get that provision. Come on. You are here because your father wants to provide you with the divine bread. He wants to provide you with the manna from heaven. He wants to provide you with the weapons in, right, in left and right hands. He wants to provide you with the fortifications of old or old provision. Now, it's a bit of a remez, but you're a mature church. In the Torah, we learn that God draws Israel out into the desert so that they would hunger and cry out. Almost like the neediness that Justin was describing earlier. And in that condition is where he provides manna. Now, Jesus, the living, breathing word of God, the Torah made flesh, through his teaching and leadership, has drawn people who do want to follow him into a state where his teaching is causing them to either run away and die in the desert or ask to eat of the bread of heaven. He says, I am this bread. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. That's an offensive statement. It's a difficult statement. Just like drawing an entire nation of people into a desert on purpose. It's a bit offensive. It wasn't intentionally easy. Our Heavenly Father is drawing us into times of sifting, times of devils, times of teaching that feel divisive because it challenges who we are. These things are positioning us to be able to be supernaturally supplied in the same manner God's people have always been. Now, more than that, think about Jesus himself. Your father is choosing to give you provision through the same kind of sifting that happened to the Messiah. He was put in a position where he cried out because his body, his flesh, could not endure what was happening. And he was strengthened from on high. Amen. See, there is no way for us to obtain what is ahead of us without walking down the same path as our Messiah. That light is already shining and it is seen in him, Jesus, the one who was sifted first, who was stressed first, who was put in this position first and found new life in the midst of death, clinging to the original old provision. See, this truth is rising in this room. It is rising in this house and it is already seen in Christ and every day it is becoming more apparent within you. Jesus and his body are connected they're not just connected in the past. Old provisions made new on a daily basis. We are 
connected in the same kind of sifting, you as his body are experiencing the rebirth that is his resurrection power every single time you choose to come back to him and have him breathe new life into you. You see, John's standing there in John 6, and he's realizing something. And he wrote it later on in his epistle, 1 John. He realized that the light is already shining, and it is seen in him, and it is seen in us. The same light that's in Jesus is the same light that's shining in us. Come on. The truth, its truth is seen in him, and it is seen in us. In that moment, John is realizing there is no way to get what the Messiah has by any other way than going through what the Messiah went through. We are connected in that sifting process. Like when Jesus says, if they hate you, it's because they hate me. We are connected in the sifting process, and the old provision being made new is what results from it. Now look at their response in verse 34. They said, I mean, this is great. Sir, they said, sir, always give us this bread. Come on. Now that's a natural response. But truthfully, this is our cry, yes. LCM. This is our cry. Lord, always give us this old provision. Always give us the sifting moments. Always give us the strength to realize the old provision and let your spirit fill us so that they are made new. This is our cry, knowing the only way to get it is enduring, persevering, and suffering in the same manner that he did. Lord, give us this bread. And the same Father who supplied Jesus is supplying them and will supply you. Amen. Saints, is he a good father? Yes. Have you experienced the love of the Almighty God in your life? Yes. Do you have confidence that he supplied the needs of Jesus? Yes. After asking, crying, Lord, always give us this bread. Jesus responds in the affirmative in verse 35. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Saints, the fear of the future has got to pass away in this room. If you're a needy, desperate cry, his father always give us this bread. Man, he will take the old provision that you are willing to utilize and he will transform it in your hands. Amen. It will become a fountain that you drink from. It will become bread that satiates your stomach again and again and provides provision for your children. Something of this revelation that he is never the one who drives us away has to settle in on us. The moments that we feel as if there's distance between us and our Father, it's not because He's unwilling to supply the bread. It's often because we've decided the bread was stale when He actually says it's consecrated and it has my name on it. And I will breathe life into it as you consume it once again, son. In this house, the revelation of who your Father is is going to grow. You're going to grow in an intimacy with Him, a dependency upon Him. And it will produce a supernatural work in you. All of this is happening because the darkness is passing. 
The darkness is passing away in this house. And the true light is already shining in your church. You will not go thirsty in the sifting. You will not go hungry in the trials. His old command, his old provision is living in you and you must breathe life into it. This is how we provide for others and set a table. You will not stumble because you love the truth. Saints, you love the light. And your father will never drive you away. But more than not drive you away, he will and has begun to order your steps. There's an old provision that we want to walk through with you because it's worth revitalizing. We're about 44 minutes in. Do you have a moment to take an old provision and breathe some new life in it? Perhaps if we cultivate some vision, we won't perish on the journey. All right, so we want to show you Psalm 37, verse 23. And this is the LCM version. There's an interlinear below. Look up the Strong's numbers. You'll find it. The steps or unfolding of life for a brave, spiritually strong man are prepared, established, and made firm and steadfast, steadfast by Yahweh. Come on. The man will delight in his way Amen. and pattern of life. Church, we want you to know this morning that the ordering of your steps will ensure that you find yourself in times of sifting. The ordering of your steps are not only just in triumphs. In fact, God will intentionally put you in a situation like Hezekiah to cause you to see your great need Come on. For, those, for those weapons. In those God-led moments of trial, you will find provision that was already there, and you will find that provision made new. God does this to his saints yeah. so that they breathe life into what he's already given them. His bread his provision will sustain you. Yeah. And in every stretching that you experience, you are going to find new power in that. And can I just say, like Psalm 37 says, that is a delightful path to walk in. I got to tell you, it's one of the most addicting feelings in the world to be in the trial and realize God has already put a weapon in your hand and then take the enemy to task yeah. with it. That is a delightful way of life. Notice it in Psalm 37, it says a brave, spiritually strong man. The word behind that is Gabor. The concept being someone who on an internal level because of God's sustainment is spiritually strong. That is brave or faithful to face the path that has been set before it. The end result is that the man himself ends up delighting in the path that God put him on. Knowing that there are difficulties and giants along the way. Saints, your righteous actions, your testimony, your new progressive innovations, they were never your strength. They're not your strength now. In fact, they were just Saul's armor, a giant hindrance to your faith and a giant hindrance to those around you, preventing you from entering through the narrow door. God is eliminating the areas that we feel ourselves strong and teaching us what it looks like to be spiritually brave. To be willing to face the path. To be excited about the ordered steps knowing, come what may, he will sustain us. LCM, your lives are not random. They're not ordered just in the general sense. God has ordained your steps. Much like Israel following him through the sea, we do not always see his footsteps. And yet, he has ordained the path. 
and Pharaoh is a part of the equation. Do you guys understand that? It's the expectation, but he will produce a life you delight in. Your choice to embrace his divine ordering in your life is preparing the way for your future victories. It is the light that is already shining being made more clear in your life. But more than that, it is preparing the way for victories that will come after your day and after your time. So this concept tends to work its way throughout the entire Bible. And we yeah. want to give you just a little brief window into the book of Revelation. Judah just mentioned that his divine ordering in your life is preparing the way for your future victories. It's preparing the way for your victories, much like Goliath's sword for you. And it's preparing the way for your children's victories as well. And the entire concept works its way through the whole Bible. When you get to Revelation 21, verse 5, you see that he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. What does it mean for Jesus to be making everything new? Come on. Well, you know, in the book of Revelation, there are nine occurrences of the word new. But to list a few, and we're going to include some from other New Testament books, when you're reading about new things that will be occurring, you see first a new Jerusalem. You see new heavens. You see a new earth. You see a new name. You see a new song. You see a new covenant. You see new birth, new order. You even see a new command. All nine of the things that Justin just listed, or all nine of the gifts that he just listed, have been mentioned and been in existence since the creation. When you consider that you just studied Daniel 7 with us, and that the Messiah that is the new reigning king over the earth is actually referred to as the Ancient of Days, it ought to inform the way that you see what God is doing here. All nine gifts that Justin mis mentioned have existed since the creation. And they are, by definition, old provision. But they are made new. They are reborn. They are revitalized. They are reinvigorated in what is called the culmination of the ages. These are provisions that God spoke about in the Tanakh years and years in advance. And every reference we just gave you is the New Testament declaring the old command that already existed reborn during their day and time with yet another fulfillment. See, the entire Bible is about old provision, a formless and void existence becoming something that is new and life, starting with Israel and their Messiah. And it is a divine mystery that somehow we've been included along the way. Us as Gentiles have been grafted into a biblical story of an old existence and old provision that when rightly handled and taken responsibility for are transformed into something glorious. Amen. But there's a truth we need to grapple with. None of this can be received if we do not breathe life into this last passage. We're going to go back to where we started in 1 John 2. 7 through 11. In verse 7, it says, Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. 
This old command is the message you have heard. Yet, I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Church, John is, is giving the exhortation to the body that the old command must become new in you daily. This, new, this old command must become new in its usage amongst the body. Its truth must be revealed in the provision that you have received and that you are putting to use. If the old command stays old, then it has no use to you and the body around you. But if you are putting it into use, then it becomes a new command for you and its truth is seen to the entire world. Now this will only be true of you if you take this provision and is being used for your brothers. Amen. God never intended that this old provision become new for you, just to be new for you. This provision is supposed to stir something up inside of you. When you find a revelation that's been tucked in and hidden away, and yet it becomes new for you, well, it's not just new for you, it's new for the brothers around you. It's used for strengthening up the body. This light that is already shining, it can only be revealed in the light of fellowship with this body. What point is the light shining if it is not revealed to us collectively? The truth is, the light is already shining, and it has been for a long, long while now. You just need to step into it. We're going to read verses 9 through 11 as we approach a closing. Anyone who claims to be in the light, but hates a brother or sister, is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them scandal on. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. Saints, if there are areas, and I know that there are, so rather than being coy, I'm just going to say it directly that you have been unable to see tools God has already provided for you because you have hatred towards your brothers and sisters, hatred towards the simplicity of the tools. You feel like it just could not work for you. Hatred towards things that you were not present for when the revelation was revealed, you show contempt for it because it wasn't revealed to you, but it was revealed to your brother or your sister or your elder. It's time that we strip the hatred away, the contempt for God's provision away, so that we can actually see in the light that is shining and rising in our midst. Say, Justin said that the light has been shining for a long, long while now. That is true since the first century. It also has been shining a long, long while now in this ministry in areas that some have chosen to participate in. Others have ignored it for years until they didn't have a choice. But we all get to choose now to step into the light. With our remaining five minutes, we have seven things for you from 1 John chapter 2. Seven affirmatives in 1 John 2. Your sins 
have been forgiven on account of his name. Somebody say have with me as we go. You have known him who is from the beginning. You have overcome the evil one. You have known the father. You have known him who is from the beginning. You are strong and the word of God lives in you. And number seven, you have overcome the evil one. See, somehow in John's writing, in a way that's been challenging Justin and I, he's both able to say you're blind and have no idea how to see the light of Christ if you have hatred between you and your brothers. If you can't see the old command, then you have no hope of using the new command appropriately. But he's also able to look at the same group of believers, and mind you, they're a mature body of believers, and tell them seven times what they already are in Christ. See, in a way, we are working to attempt what the Scripture speaks about in our own life and with you this morning. To both force you to reckon with the areas of your life that you have been blind to God's provision. That you've treated it as old, useless, and of no value to you. And the way in which the light is already shining in your midst and your sins are forgiven. You have overcome the evil one. See, our God is not a simple God. He is the master of the universe. He's both able to look at men and say, you desperately need to grow and stop wasting your life in these areas. And say, you have everything in you already. He treats us as sons, like a father that can discipline a child, but also knows what he will become. Saints, we know what you will become. Our Father is moving inside of us to create new levels of ministry. But we will not get to new levels of ministry without appreciating the old provision made new in this house. The gospel itself is about the word indwelling flesh. And that word being reborn in a glorified body. The light is already shining in this body. And you are a have, not a have not. You already have plenty of old provision. And the Lord is calling you to give your brothers something to eat. To answer their call and their cry, give us this bread. See, he's not standing here in the flesh anymore. He's sending you like he sent Moses to the cries of Israel. He's sending you to set a table for his people in your time of sifting. The question at hand is, will you look for something new? Or will you be made new? Through this process. The question at hand. Is are you willing to go through the sifting? Are you willing to go through this process. And lean on what God has already given us. See I, I have a, a feeling. That many struggle in their times of sifting. Because they do not want to lean upon the things. God has already given. It, it sounds so simple. That God has already given you the solution and yet we don't want the old solution we don't want the solution that was already given to us we want something new you know what that really is that's called being faithless that's called being fickle that's called being untrusting towards our God in the provision that he has already given us in the days to come what we know God wants to accomplish in this body in the next two years God is going to bring us from sifting to sifting, but he is also going to bring us from glory 
to glory. Because in those sifting moments, we're going to realize that we have a great need. Stagnant things are going to come to life in us again. We are going to rise up and say, Lord, give me this bread that you speak of. I want to go through the sifting. I want to go through those processes. I want to go through the Hezekiah-like moments, through the Paul-like moments. I want to go through the sifting, having life breathed into the old provision. And I want God to add to that provision along the way. LCM, we know that you do too. Because the same God that is at work in us is at work in you. He's creating a desire in us for new growth. And we are forcing ourselves, our flesh, mind, will, and emotions to line up with what our spirit already knows is right. LCM, the light is already shining in you. It's what you're made of. It's why you're here, because of his supernatural provision. It was never about us being righteous and having everything already put together. But it's about what he could make new through us. Stand with us. LCM, we're asking you to stand with us physically. We're asking you to stand with us as spiritually brave men and women that are willing to face the ordered steps that God has called us all collectively to. We're asking you to stand in your faith that you will delight in the result of what he brings about. We're asking you to stand in your commitment to rise to the old provision, the old commands, the old tools gifted to you that have no equal in your life. We know that you will not waste time and that you will immediately grab hold of them. That as we worship Together today, that God is going to continue to speak to us. That there are going to be new births in this room. But it's going to come from a commitment within you. These old provisions I'm not letting go of. In fact, I'm going to take the dust off of them. See, this brother has been here in my life all of this time. But I am now going to revitalize it. Your decision inside of you that I will not neglect the old command and the gift given to me. I will cultivate new life in it. will produce for you a new heaven and a new earth. Amen. It will produce for you new revelation that you now know what to do with and can handle Goliath's sword. It will produce a body that is building the body both in strength and armament and provision in every way that is possible because we will have a firm hold on what has come before. And now, like mature men and women, know what to do with the weapons in our right and left hand. As we begin to pray, we're going to pray that God opens our eyes to show us the old provisions that need new life into it. We're going to come and we're going to ask him to breathe life into the things that we've used in the past. But breathe it in such a way that we pick it up again and we begin to use it for our brothers around us. So mighty God, we ask you to open our eyes in this room. Father, we ask you to show us those areas of previous provision. 
Lord, that need life breathed into it again. Father, fill us with your spirit that we may move forward and use the tools that you have already equipped us in. Father, strengthen us to go through the sifting. Strengthen us to have weapons in our left and right hand. 